A national opioid settlement, including Walgreens and AbbVie's Allergan, has been finalized for $17.3 billion. And I'll talk with Cranes reporter Ali Marathi about a bid to buy Corner Bakery Cafe out of bankruptcy that's been approved in court and how American Airlines will start serving meals from a local restaurant on some flights. This is something that we see some restaurants do in a post-pandemic world just as they try to increase their revenue basis so they can have steady streams of money coming in from different ways in case anything happens, like shutting down dining rooms, for example. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Tuesday, June 13th. Secure your business accounts and start earning more with a Wintrust MaxSafe account. With MaxSafe, you get up to 15 times the standard FDIC personal protection. That's right, 15 times the protection with the liability to secure up to $3.75 million per account holder. Now that's banking as it should be. Call 833-MAX-SAFE to talk with a local Wintrust banker today. That's 833-MAX-SAFE. Peace of mind is just a phone call away. Banking products provided by Wintrust Financial Corporation Banks. Member FDIC. See FDIC.gov for deposit insurance coverage rules. So a bid to buy Corner Bakery Cafe out of bankruptcy has been approved in court. Here to talk about that and a few other stories, Crane's reporter, Ali Marathi. Ali, welcome back to the podcast. Always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me, Amy. So tell me what's going on with Corner Bakery. I knew there were some bids or there was at least a bid that looked uh, pretty promising happening and it appears it's moving forward. This is actually not the first bid that they got, but it's a Dallas-based company. It's called SSCP Management. They own more than 400 restaurants around the country. And their bid to buy Corner Bakery out of bankruptcy was approved and they are paying $15 million. And so what is the timeline going to look like for this, uh, for this acquisition and, and what will it mean for the chain? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not exactly sure about the timeline, but um, last week they had a court hearing that approved the bid. There were some objections. Um, apparently those did not hold a lot of weight in court. And um, this company, they operate four brands of restaurants, uh, CC's Pizza Buffet, Sonic Drive-In, Applebee's, and then a restaurant called Roy's. And, um, you know, they plan to come in and make a bunch of investment into Corner Bakery. Um, The president of SSCP, he spoke during a court hearing earlier this month about everything that he thinks his company will need to do to basically make Corner Bakery, you know, viable again. And he said that he expects to invest $25 million in the short term. He said that um, his company and representatives from his company visited 78 of Corner Bakery's more than 80 locations sort of just, you know, posing as regular customers, not going in the back and examining the kitchen or anything like that. He said that the soda machines in 30-something stores were broken, espresso machines weren't working, dishwashers were down, and they were serving food on paper plates in some of these stores. So, you know, there's going to have to be some changes that are made. Corner Bakery has about 2,000 employees, and this company plans to retain those employees as well. Okay. And so what triggered the issues for Corner Bakery? What, what kind of, I mean, that, that's a lot, it feels like a lot of issues that were uncovered. What, what started that decline, I suppose, is the word I want. Yeah, I think it was the pandemic. You know, I wasn't following Corner Bakery before the pandemic, but they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in February. So this kind of bankruptcy saga has been going on for a few months here. 
they were originally owned by Let Us Entertain You Enterprises. They have, you know, quite a few locations in Chicago, specifically in the Loop. And I think that's sort of the root of their problems. You know, they're often located in these downtown areas that really struggled during the pandemic as people worked from home. And just, you know, in Chicago, I'm not exactly sure what our occupancy rate is at right now, but I think we're at about 50% of workers being back in the Loop. And for a lot of restaurants, that's not enough, you know, especially, um, you know, with people people's new habits and just not being in neighborhoods where a lot of other chains have started to locate, right? Like Potbelly, for instance, another company we follow that really was hurt by the pandemic and being in downtown areas, they've started to open new locations in neighborhoods. We haven't really seen Corner Bakery do that yet. How long ago did Lettuce Entertain You own that chain? So Lettuce Entertain You started Corner Bakery back in 1991, opened the first location in River North. Similar to Maggiano's, which is another concept that Let Us Entertain You also founded and took a similar path as Corner Bakery. They sold Maggiano's and Corner Bakery to Brinker International. Um, and, you know, it started expanding and going from there. And similar Maggiano's, additionally, it's, it's a chain that Let Us Entertain You no longer owns, but has its roots there. And that's something about Let Us Entertain You. You know, they tend to do this and they do it pretty well. They spin out chains um, another one that I think we're all familiar with is Wow Bow. They've done that there as well. Um, but, you know, Corner Bakery hasn't fared so well. It's changed hands very frequently over the past few years, um, you know, going from private equity owners and just different groups like that. And uh, we're seeing that happen again. Yeah. Well, speaking of food stories and Texas companies, Treehouse Foods, which is based in Oak Brook, has paid $100 million for a coffee facility and a shipping business that's based in Texas. Tell me about this. Yeah, so this coffee facility and shipping business, it was a company that Treehouse had been working with previously. They provided their bulk coffee, and uh, Treehouse turned them into little coffee pods for your Keurig, that sort of thing. So they bought them so that they could be more vertically integrated. Treehouse Foods is a pretty interesting company that I think flies under the radar a little bit. You know, they're based out in Oak Brook and they make a ton of private label foods for all different grocery stores, right? They do Kroger's, they do Whole Foods, they do a bunch of different stuff. And this is a company I've been watching for the past few years as we've seen inflation increase and customers turning more toward private label foods in an effort to save money. Private label foods are really interesting. You know, there's something that people tend to avoid because they like to have that brand name on their shelves. But then once they try the foods, it's hard to get them to go back to the brand names just because they're more expensive and we're in an inflationary time right now still, even though it has cooled down a little bit. So Treehouse Foods is sort of making some moves right now to try to be more vertically integrated, ease some of their supply chain woes by doing that, and just take control of things. Another story on your beat I wanted to touch on while you're here is that uh, American Airlines has announced that they will start serving some meals from Avli on some of their flights. Yeah, so Greek restaurant Avli, they have five Chicago area locations and they're planning to open one up in Milwaukee. We've seen them expand, you know, outside of just their regular restaurant base here in recent months. So this most recent news, they'll be on select American airline flights to Europe starting this summer. They'll have a few dishes, um, an egg scramble, a Greek beef orzo stew, for example, you know, a classic Greek salad. All those will be options um, if you're flying nonstop from O'Hare to Athens, Barcelona, Dublin, London, Paris, and Rome. So, you know, American Airlines based in Texas. Again, we're on a Texas theme here today. Uh, they've just been revamping their selection of in-flight meals. <laughs> yeah, it's a theme. Yeah, so it'll be starting this summer. It's Avli's first foray into the skies. But as I mentioned, they've been expanding in a lot of different ways. 
this is something that we see some restaurants do in a post-pandemic world, just as they try to increase their revenue basis so they can have steady streams of money coming in from different ways in case anything happens, like shutting down dining rooms, for example. Sure. So it launched um, to-go Greek meals and wines at Dom's Kitchen and Market earlier this year, and it acquired a rooftop event business in Fulton Market. So it'll be interesting to see what Avli does next. Interesting. So there's the River North and Lincoln Park. You mentioned there's a Milwaukee location coming soon. There's a North Shore one, I think Winnetka. Winnetka. And then there's a location in um, the Timeout Market and Fulton Market. And then they have Lakeshore East, which is kind of out farther out Randolph by that Mariano's over there. But um, interestingly, the the CEO, Louis Alexakis, he spent more than a decade working in Greektown and then he founded Avli in 2009. So this exodus of Greektown or almost this like Greek town diaspora of these different Greek restaurants opening throughout the city. You know, it's been happening more recently in the past few years. We've seen all these different Greek restaurants opening in Fulton Market and different areas. You know, there's one up on Milwaukee and Logan Square. And uh, this, you know, Louis, his story started much earlier back in 2009 when he left working Greek town and started his own chains. All right, Allie, thanks so much. Always a pleasure to catch up on all the stories going on on your beat. Yeah, thanks for having me. Coming up, the state of Illinois says it is among the victims of a massive cyber attack. We'll talk about that and more right after this. No matter what industry you're in, the successful design of our shared spaces for work and beyond has become more important than ever. The 54th edition of Neocon, the leading platform for commercial space design, runs June 12th through 14th at the Mart in Chicago. This is the ideal opportunity to find inspiration from top industry professionals and impactful solutions from more than 400 leading and emerging companies from around the world. Find details and register to attend at neocon.com. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Final agreement on several opioid lawsuits against drug makers and pharmacies will result in $17.3 billion in settlements, with most of the companies beginning to release funds later this summer. That according to a statement from the Illinois Attorney General's office, which also said that Illinois stands to receive about $518 million over the next 15 years from the settlements with drug makers Teva and AbbVie subsidiary Allergan, as well as retail pharmacy companies CVS and Walgreens. The statement also said that an agreement with Walmart is anticipated in the coming weeks. Crane's John Asplund reported that the settlements will also require Teva's opioid business to abide by stringent prohibitions, preventing all opioid marketing and adding drug misuse prevention measures. The statement also said that Allergan will be required to stop selling opioids for the next 10 years. Asplund also reported that a preliminary breakdown of the settlement amounts for each company, updated in February on nationalopioidsettlements.com, shows that AbbVie's Allergan would pay just over $2 billion over seven years, and Israeli-based pharmaceutical company Teva Pharmaceuticals would pay up to $3.34 billion over 13 years. Deerfield-based Walgreens would pay up to $5.52 billion over 15 years, with CVS paying up to $4.9 billion over 10 years, and Walmart expected to pay up to $2.74 billion within six years. Asplund noted in reporting that as this and other opioid settlement money is dispersed over the next 18 years, Illinois is expected to get the most cash it's received yet to address the opioid crisis. 
Also noting in reporting that Illinois leaders say they aim to equitably distribute the opioid settlement funds to overdose abatement programs, which include intervention services, medication-assisted addiction treatments, rehab centers, and prevention programs, as well as buying and supplying Narcan, a medication that reverses overdoses. Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul said in the statement that overall, national investigations and litigation against the pharmaceutical industry over the opioid crisis has led to more than $50 billion in settlements, with Illinois' share standing at more than $1.3 billion. The state of Illinois says it is among the victims of a wide-reaching cyber attack by a ransomware gang that has impacted both governments and private companies. Crane's John Pletz reported that the state is being cryptic about exactly what happened, who's at risk, and what the potential damage is, but did disclose recently that it was a victim of a cyber attack on May 31st. Sanjay Gupta, the newly hired chief information officer and head of the Department of Innovation and Technology, told Cranes that the state's cybersecurity team, quote, evicted the attacker within three hours and verified that the vulnerability could no longer be exploited. However, the state also said the investigation is ongoing and the full extent of the incident is still being determined but that the Department of Innovation and Technology believes, quote, a large number of individuals could be impacted. The attack involves widely used file transfer software called MoveIt and is believed to be the work of a group which claimed to have breached the systems of hundreds of companies as well as governments. Other victims of the attack include BBC, British Airways, Aer Lingus, the government of Nova Scotia, the University of Rochester, and others. The state of Illinois declined to say whether any ransom demands had been made, but the group who claimed responsibility hinted earlier in the week that such demands could be coming. That according to reporting from Bloomberg. The U.S. government issued a warning on Wednesday about the MoveIt attacks. Some victims of the MoveIt attacks, such as British Airways and Nova Scotia, have said that personal identifying information of workers and citizens were compromised. Pletz noted that the state of Illinois hasn't gone that far, with a spokesperson saying that the current efforts of the Department of Innovation and Technology are, quote, focused on determining an accurate population of impacted individuals for appropriate notifications. However, the state did say how the attack unfolded, saying that within minutes of the attack on May 31st, the department, quote, took immediate action, disconnected all associated systems that utilized the third-party software, and engaged its security incident response team to conduct a forensic analysis. The description went on to say, quote, in the following days, a worldwide cyber community began to identify the attacker's, quote-unquote, fingerprints, and state security officials were able to begin mapping the extent of the attack on Illinois' systems. Walgreens Boots Alliance sold its remaining shares of Option Care Health on Thursday for more than $330 million, marking an end to its stake in the company. Crane's sister publication Modern Healthcare reported that the drugstore chain will devote the proceeds from selling 10.8 million shares of what used to be known as Walgreens Infusion Services to reducing its debt. That according to a Thursday news release from the company. Walgreens Boots Alliance has been slowly selling off Option Care stock. In March, the company sold 15.5 million shares of Option Care for $30.75 per share. Modern Healthcare noted in reporting that the transaction took place less than a month after Option Care announced plans to acquire Emeticis for $3.6 billion, although United Health Group's Optum is also vying for the company. 
Among the more than 500 bills the Illinois General Assembly passed in a legislative flurry late last month, one would fund the restoration of a once-bustling hotel in Pullman. Crane's Corley J. reported that introduced late last year by State Representative Nicholas Smith and Senator L.G. Sims, the Reimagining Hotel Florence Act was rolled into another House bill, HB 2878, and passed on May 25th. The act provides $21 million for the restoration of the historic building. Jay noted in reporting that the bill reads that the General Assembly will allow the Illinois Department of Natural Resources, which owns the hotel, to, quote, enter into a public-private partnership that will allow Hotel Florence to become a fully reactivated space in a timely manner. Jay also noted in reporting that the terms of the public-private agreement were stated as being between 25 and 75 years. The state will undergo what was described as competitive requests for proposals within six months of the issue date of the bill and has six months from the proposal date to choose a contractor for the project. The bill now heads to Governor J.B. Pritzker, who has roughly 60 days to sign or veto it. Jane noted in reporting that Hotel Florence, located at 11111 South Forestville Avenue in the Pullman Historic District, closed its doors 23 years ago. The 23,000-square-foot hotel opened in 1881 and offered 50 rooms as well as entertainment for guests. To save the building from demolition, the historic Pullman Foundation made the move to purchase it in the 1970s. The Illinois Department of Natural Resources has owned the building since 1991 when it was purchased from the historic Pullman Foundation. Mike Shemansky, former president of the Historic Pullman Foundation, told Cranes that Hotel Florence was once a popular destination for dining and hopes to see it return to its glory, saying, quote, For years, it was the most accessible, significant building in the district until the clock tower was established as a visitor center for the Pullman National Historical Park. Jay also noted in reporting that back in January, the Pullman National Monument was renamed Pullman National Historic Park, making it the first National Park Service unit in Chicago. She also noted in reporting that the site was designated a national monument in 2015. That's Crane's Daily just for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's reporter, Ali Moradi. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.